Today's episode is sponsored by Selena's Mexican Restaurant and Taqueria in Rochester, New York. Selena's is celebrating our 25th year in Rochester, and we are proud to continue offering fresh-made, Mexican-inspired recipes that are affordable and served by Rochester's best. Check out our event space for private occasions, as well as our catering menu for groups of 10 to 2,000. Looking for something different to do? Selena's hosts monthly tequila tasting classes, as well as corporate team-building seminars. Check out the website to learn more, selena's.com. S-A-L-E-N-A-S dot com. Jazzcast Pros. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Getting Real with Bossy, the podcast that shows what it's really like to be a woman business owner. Hi, today we're going to interview Iris Zimmerman. I'm super excited. I met her years ago um, and have just always wanted to know more. So this is like a great opportunity. So how are you doing today? I'm good. And I, I'll i tell you why I'm good. I have been listening to this new podcast called Dare to Interrupt, which is Courtney Stanley, who we saw in New York. I know I've talked about her a lot. I'm definitely minorly obsessed with her at this point. I have a one-on-one call with her in two weeks. I'm losing my shit. Um, so I'm really excited, but she's just this incredible woman. And her podcast, it's more focused on, at least right now, I'm all the way back into 2020, on event professionals, people that plan meeting, meeting planners. But it's more the hospitality event planning industry. But I love it because it's hearing these incredible women who aren't necessarily business owners, but they're leaders in these amazing businesses. So hearing those perspectives too, I like, and it's something I want to start kind of learning more about. And maybe someday we can have another podcast where we just interview amazing women in general. Um, But it's been really great to listen to to those perspectives and her podcast, just all about just becoming comfortable interrupting and being unapologetically ambitious and all of these new phrases I've got. But one woman I was listening to, it was really neat because it's something that I'm personally struggling with is this idea, and we're always told, like, get yourself to the table. Nothing can happen until you have a seat at the table and be in the room where it happens and all of this stuff. But it doesn't stop there, right? And I feel like I've gotten myself to a lot of tables here in my little Rochester bubble, and I'm comfortable leading those, running those tables. But in other areas, when I'm put in other situations, I... I'm like, yeah, I'm at the table. And then I'm just always questioning why. Like, why am I here? Do I deserve to be here? And I'm watching these people with more different experience, longer experience. And and find myself like saying what I want to say in my head, but not actually saying it out loud. And it's this idea that once you get to the table, your work's not done. So we have to work even harder because first we got to get to the table and then we have to speak up and have our voice known and have our voice heard and know what to do if we're getting trampled over by other people. And not even just getting trampled, like both times I was at the table recently, I didn't feel like my voice was as valuable as I should. So like when I moderated the panel, that was I was someone asked me to do that. So like they obviously thought my voice was somewhat valuable and like the thoughts that go through your head. And I say yours of like women everywhere, women that are listening to this right now, you've probably experienced it. And even men, you know who I'm talking to, but you stand there and you're like, how I'm not any different or I'm not as valuable or I'm not the one that should be asking the questions or being asked the questions, you know, in the event we went to last week, you know, like. I had the question that I wanted to ask and I stood up and I was like, oh, these people are so much more important than me. And like you stumble and and I'm like, but they're not. They're not. And I don't think they gave you the answer that they needed to anyway. Well, no, that part was proven. (laughs) But like what's going through my head when I stand up, right, is like fighting that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I'm excited. Uh, Iris is a um, performance coach, which sets her apart from some other coaches. Um, so I'm excited to see what that is and to learn about her path. Absolutely. I'm not going to give any spoilers, Kelly. Wonderful. All right. Well, here we go. We're going to get Iris Zimmerman on the call. Hey, ladies. Do you own your own business or are you considering starting your own? Are you craving connection and are ready to feel seen? It's time to get real about what it takes to make it as a woman business owner. 
My name is Kelly Bush. And I'm Kelly Metris. And we're the hosts of Getting Real with Bossy, the podcast that unites and educates women business owners through real, raw, and honest conversations. This podcast has been brought to you by Gallery Salon, where beauty and art collide. You can find out more at galleryhair.com. Hey, y'all. I'm Erica Cervello, and I'm the owner as well as the stylist at Gallery Salon, located at 4 Elton Street in the neighborhood of the Arts in Rochester, New York. We specialize in everything from lived-in hair color to vivid creations, haircuts, wedding hair and makeup, structured manicures, gel extensions, and the best nail art in the city. We work closely with Rochester artists and makers to carry an array of handmade goodies for you to shop from. Gallery Salon is proud to offer gender-neutral pricing, and we are a certified LBGTQ plus safe zone. Our space and staff are welcoming and down to earth. We know you'll be comfortable to come as you are and celebrate your individuality at Gallery Salon. You can find us at galleryhair.com and Facebook or Instagram. Give us a call at 585-271-8340 or better yet, swing by and meet us and see what we're about. Gallery Salon, located at 4 Elton Street in the neighborhood of the Arts in Rochester, New York. All right. Hi. Hi, Iris. How are you? Hi. Great. <laughs> I've got two Kellys I'm talking to yeah. on a Monday afternoon, so I'm excited. Perfect. Well, we're so happy to have you here today. Yeah, thanks for letting me uh, join the party. I feel like I'm I'm belonging now. So. You are. You are. And I love that you think that it's a party. That's wonderful. <laughs> I'm actually really excited because I met you a long time ago at this point. It doesn't feel like that long ago but when you actually look at the years. And I've always wanted to get to know more. Like, I've always been like, oh, I want to ask more questions. And we just kind of see each other in passing. And I'm like, ooh, I get to hear Paris's story today. I know. It's weird. I, I feel like that a lot in, uh, in Rochester because we're such a small we're not such a small town, but we're kind of smaller, right? And we kind of all know each other and we all follow each other and we like what we're doing. I love what you're doing. You're posting things, but we don't see each other. But I think it's a really interesting way in which so many people connect now is we, we might be following each other and their lives and it, it's very resonant and you post things about your kids. I'm like, oh yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> and I, I just met you for the first time last week at a Women Empowering Women conference I'm very excited to learn more about you. Oh, it's great. So tell us uh, who you are and what you do for the world. <laughs> for the world. Hello, world. What I do now versus um, how people define me are, are different, right? I think I would define where I am today as being a mom, as being a leadership and performance coach, as being a wife and being a friend, being part of the community. So those are the, all the descriptions I would put on myself. But how people know me is that they call me Iris the Olympian, because that's how people know me in Rochester, because I made the Olympic team in 2000 with my sister. My sister owns the fencing club today, Rochester Fencing Club, and uh, she's a two-time Olympian and how else people would describe me, I think that's a lot of it. So people often come to me with that sort of title, oh, you're an Olympian, and so I'm Iris the Olympian. I can guess why, because I didn't know that, and that's that's incredible. Holy crap. Okay, Iris. I can count on one hand how many Olympians I know, and it's I've met you and your sister, because I've met your sister, so I'm going to technically count you. Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> congratulations. That's incredible. Thanks. That was a long time ago. So I was 19 years old when I made the Olympic team, and then I was an alternate to the 2004 Olympic Games. And we started here in Rochester. I started at six years old at the Rochester uh, Fencing Center, and we own the fencing club now, that same fencing club that we started at, or Felicia owns it now. You were sick. Was that something you, your family wanted you to get involved in, or did you just wake up one day and like, I want to learn how to fence? At six. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if we all just kind of woke up and decided, like, this yes. is what I'm going to be? I haven't done that yet. I haven't had that wake-up moment yet, so I'm still there. So the six-year-old thing wasn't a wake-up call to that, but my sister is about five years older than me, and she started first before me. So by the time I started at six years old, what is she, 11 or 12, she was already doing very well in the sport, and my mother didn't want to just go, it was, we were going from Henrietta, Rush Henrietta to the city. It was in downtown in Rochester. And she was like, I am not taking two kids in two different places. And so I just started fencing. So the whole story that I do tell about my experience is that my parents are immigrants to this country. My father's German, my mother's Chinese. 
And I just had this crazy conversation with my mother last week about her experience and um, her coming to the United States, because that was the impetus for, for all of us being here. For her, it was about freedom and coming to the United States and having kids here because they wouldn't be pushed in certain directions in China at the time. Like you're pushed in certain directions, you take tests and you have to decide very soon who you are and where you want to be in this sort of mix. And she wanted for us to have more choice. And so it was very important for us because she said, people in the United States, they have to do a sport to go to college because my father worked for Kodak was an electrician. She stayed at home. She actually was a trained nurse, but stayed at home. And we wouldn't have been able to afford college. So she said, in the United States, if you do a sport, you have to do it very well in order to get a scholarship to a good school. So both my sister actually, sister and I received scholarships to Stanford. We did that sort of dream for her. So we didn't, it wasn't so much a, a choice, although I think if we just complained about it, she would say, hey, you know, if we made a huge mess of the whole thing and we complained about it, but my sister was doing well. The coach that built the program, he actually became a Hall of Fame coach. It was just all the stars aligned, and I happened to like it too. And I think part of it was that people around me were really successful. So it wasn't so much I was like, oh, I love this sport. It's so amazing. I think that was really my sister who made the choice for that sport because it was the one thing that she felt very connected to. But I think I just tagged along and I was like, she's doing it and I want to do what she's doing. And I kind of like it and it's great. And and people are being very successful. So it was kind of a, a mix of the two. So it's a long-winded answer to that. That's a great <laughs> answer to that. <laughs> so that was 2000. Sorry, I'm just ke- I'm keeping notes for myself because that's how I learn. So, okay, 2000. I love that you're taking notes. You mentioned <laughs> that your sister owns the fencing club now. Yeah, so good that you picked up on that. She and I, after I retired from the um, from fencing in 2008, I was like, I don't know what to do with my life. And I was trying to think, like, I took the LSAT twice, and I don't think I would ever have been a good lawyer. I actually went to a local law firm and, and said, oh, hey, can you tell me what it's like to be a lawyer? And the guy's like, you need to run as fast as you can in another direction. Do not <laughs> become a lawyer. And I was like, oh, I just took the LSAT twice and I visited some schools. So <laughs> I like took his, I took it very seriously. I was like, this guy really hates this. I'm like, okay. So I, and I didn't end up interviewing anyone else. So I was like, Felicia, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm retired. So I started coaching. I called her. She was actually working in Dubai at the time for a consulting company. And I said, we have to buy the fencing club. How about that? And she said, okay. Um, so part of it was, because I needed some like container for what am I going to do with this? And I'm not ready to move on necessarily from fencing and that fencing identity. Uh, but I have to do something. <laughs> so I started um, owning the fencing club with my sister. We bought it in 2009. And then in 2019, I left the fencing club right before the pandemic. I think, it was, yeah, 2019. I didn't leave, but I you know, we came to a place where it was better to have one owner. We had grown a lot. We had done very well. We really wanted the fencing club because it was the one space. And so I think this is really important because this is how we built our community there is we felt that the fencing club was our space. We felt that the fencing club was the one place that we fit in. You know, being immigrant kids, being um, half Asian kids where, it, you know, mixed kids are, are kind of the norm, more normal now. But when we were mixed kids in the 80s and 90s, it wasn't a thing. And also being Chinese was, it was very odd. Like everyone would, I always thought I was white, but everyone would point me out as Chinese. It's like a weird thing being a biracial person. So you kind of play all these parts. And so we never really felt a sense of belonging. So the fencing club, you put the mask on and you do really well in a sport you have a super sense of belonging and we were also super nerdy kids. So, and nerdy was not cool in the eighties and nineties and we were very, very, very nerdy. So Chinese school on Saturdays, my mom made us do extra math. Like we were super nerdy. So we found at the fencing club, a bunch of nerds that were like us and you put the mask on and you could fence. And for my sister, putting the fencing mask on was very, liberating for her because she could just be whomever she wanted to be right so the mask goes on and you could be whomever you want to be and you're not, there's no definition there's it doesn't matter and you can just fence 
So we very much wanted the fencing club to be a community-oriented place, and we never actually sought out. It was funny because when we started the fencing club together, everyone's like, oh, how many champions do you have? How many people are you going to make go to the Olympic team? And da-da-da-da-da, you're going to make all these champions. And it's interesting because it was never our thought process to make Olympians. We wanted very much to – anyone who walked in the door was interested in fencing. We wanted to make sure that you had a good experience and that you we, – we called it challenger impossible, that we wanted to make sure that you – could come in and be the best that you can be and at your highest potential. And we had a ton of kids who, you know, they weren't awesome fencers, but they came in and they actually suddenly thought, oh, I'm a really good athlete now. Or they thought of themselves as an athlete because they could finally get a skill. Fencing is a very skill-based sport, so everyone starts at zero. It, it was a very big mission for us. And also we cared about education. We cared about the kids. We cared about the community. So you know, one of the things we're most proud of is a lot of our children that graduate or our kids that graduate from our program, they eventually go on to be captains of their team. We've had a captain of Air Force Academy. We've had captain Temple University. So for us, we wanted to build people who could be leaders, people who are could find spaces that they could continue to thrive even beyond us. And I think that was a very different concept when we owned a fencing club because so many sports, they want the kids to perform because there's more money in that, there's more fame in that. But we really just were interested in making sure that kids had a place they could belong and a place they could be at their best. So I think with that, our fencing club grew because, you know, how many parents look for a place for their children that they could feel that they can belong and and pursue themselves at their best? That's incredible. I'm still absorbing all of this, and like I am I too, it. Kelly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to absorb. I'm not surprised, um, but I just love that idea of being whoever you know behind that mask. You can be whoever you want to be, and and you and your sister did that and became Olympians, and that's that's just incredible on its own. But then to go back and want to just instill leadership in these kids, and not like you have to follow my my feet and do what I did and become this amazing athlete and this Olympian wasn't the focus. And I, I think that's probably unique and it's so incredible. So well done. I was a big nerd too, but not, I had no athletic abilities at all, but it would have been nice at that age to find a place where I felt like I could be whoever I wanted to be and have that support and that camaraderie. That's just, it's amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. (laughs) <laughs> it's been fun. And my sister, um, as with most business owners, I have to tip my hat to all the business owners during a pandemic that, you know, still continue to run a business, right? So she was able to do that. Kelly, I watched you kind of your journey there too, and watched my sister and it's unreal what you guys have done to maintain a business, to keep it going. And so many of the parents, at least for the fencing club, and I just shout out to my sister, Felicia, because you know, these kids need a place. They were kind of lost for a little while. And then she did as much as she could to make sure that the fencing club could open again. So people had a place, you know, the kids had a place to go and they could be active and they could see each other again. So I have a huge respect for her because she did it on her own when I left. And so I just wanted to say that. And also, again, also to resonate with you, Kelly, all the things that you had to go through too, and still going through, we're not past all of that. We're still affected by it in businesses. So So at some point in time, as a little sister, and your sister has the business in a pandemic, were you like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I can edit that part out for the part for the one that you send to her. Yeah, she knows. I mean, she she doesn't not that having kids versus not having kids, but she doesn't have kids. And for her, that was her kid. And I had two kids in a pandemic. And I was starting in a, a new role at um, a startup in Boston um, around coaching and leadership coaching. Thankfully, they started Zoom coaching before Zoom coaching was a thing with other companies who started that too, but they started in 2017. But, you know, yeah, I mean, a little bit of it, I was like, I couldn't handle the stress between having to teach my kids, having to work. And also my father was very ill at the time, which my sister also uh, worked hard at as well. I just don't. I don't know if I could have handled yet another thing on top, on my plate. And just to say, my sister, another shout out to her. She runs the fencing club from Cairo, Egypt. She lives in Cairo. She doesn't live in Rochester. Oh, yeah. wow. It's wild. You know what? Women can do some shit. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Second t-shirt of the day. Yeah. 
women can do some shit, and they can do it from anywhere, yes, we can. at any time, in any place. So, um, and and she, it's amazing what she can do. So I just shout her out. But you're absolutely right. Was I thankful? Hell yes. You know, I don't know. I mean, the the sustaining of that stress, and I have high levels of anxiety, so I think it probably would have killed me. So well, we're we're yeah. glad that you got out before then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you were starting a new job or position. During that, though, I mean, that's just as big as running a business through a pandemic. Well, it was interesting. In 2017, I wanted something else. So I started the fencing club was a good sort of starting place. And I went to I went to Simon School, got a business degree, ran the fencing club with my sister. And at some point I was like, you know, I like fencing, but it's not really a part of my identity. I want something different. And I, I sat with a friend and, and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I'm totally lost. You know, I, I don't know what to do with any of this. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I thought I was going to run for office. I thought I was going to be a congresswoman. That was my thing. Like, I wanted to be a congresswoman. I wanted to change the laws. Like, I wanted all these things. But then I was like, you can't. That's not my path. That's not what I want to do. What do I do? And he sat me down. And he's like, you like to teach. Even as a kid, um, I was always teaching people fencing. They would always pull me out to teach kids fencing. I love teaching. I love it in the moment when people like get something. They're like, oh, and I'm like, yes, oh, amazing. And so for me, it was so great. I love teaching. So a friend of mine who's also an Olympian, I was on, uh, headed towards an uh, Olympic alumni conference in Colorado, and she's this decorated rowing Olympian. She said, you know, I have a friend in Boston. She's doing a startup, and she's an entrepreneur, and she's hiring Olympians to become executive coaches and teaching them how to coach. And so I was like, oh, I love coaching. I love teaching. So I'm going to go and do that. So I went in there and it was a startup outside of Boston and they did Zoom coaching and I learned how to coach and I got a coaching certification and I've been coaching since 2017. And then I worked within the organization. So after I left the fencing club, I started working in an organization. I ended up being an interesting story, just a shortened story is um, when I first joined, I could do a bunch of things. And this is something really important, I think, maybe for the group, but I started off being really deferential about who I was and what I could do. So I was like, oh, do you have an internship or something I could do for your business? Because, you know, I just ran a fencing club and, you know, you have a startup. That just word always gets in the way. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. I very much put myself in this position of, I don't know what I'm doing because I ran a fencing club, you know, because people would often say, oh, you own a fencing club, so you don't really own a business, right? So it doesn't make all this money, so you don't really own a business. So I felt that way. I was like, oh, I don't really own a business. I kind of like do some businessy stuff. Um, And yeah, I might have an MBA, but you know, I'm an imposter syndrome like test case. So I went in and she gave me an internship in marketing. And then I did that crushed it. And then as they say, these young people, and then I um, went in and did another role in operations. And then I, she eventually the CEO called me the Swiss army knife. She was like, wow, you can do everything. I was like, oh yeah, I could do everything. And I'm like, now looking back, I'm like, you're an idiot. You could be the, the CEO of the company. And then I kept working in the company and there was a point where, um, you know, she goes, what else do you want to do? And I said, you know, I'd really like to run the coaches. But at the time, the co- the guy who was head of the coaches had a PhD. And I said, you know, but I think I could really run it and it could really be like this and this. And she got back from maternity leave and she hired a PhD. And I was like, huh. So uh, at the, the sort of end of the story is a year later, about a year or so later, I actually take that job and that role because what the business actually needed was someone else who, someone who could actually do operations and that role needed to be split as I had mentioned. So I became the VP of coaching at the end of my career there. And then I realized I'm spending a lot of time working and I'm not paying attention to what I need to do at home with my children. And this period of their life, I don't want to miss it. They're eight and 10. So I basically shifted my entire life in August to make sure that I reprioritize so that my kids and my family became a priority. My parents are, I'm in that squeeze where I have parents who who need help and then my children who also need help. And so I'm in that sort of middle ground. And I realized like at this point in my life, do I want to constantly be exhausted at the end of the week? Not really. Do I want to listen to what I coach other people on? Yes, I do. So 
Um, in August, I started, um, and now I own my own company, coaching. So I do coaching. I've consulted people on things. I kind of I have a podcast. I do different pieces of, of coaching. So that's where I am now. It's a lot in one, but I think one of the things I would say from that story is I think if you own a small business, sometimes you go to these other businesses or startups or bigger businesses and you think, oh, well, I just ran this you know, company or I just had a studio or I just did this or did that. And that's not actually true. All businesses have the same business problems. They just get bigger, right, or smaller. And it's interesting because it gave me a lot of confidence. So I coach startup CEOs. I'm coaching other people in um, larger companies, smaller companies, doctors, and everyone have the same problemas. <laughs> so I think it was just an interesting lesson to learn. So if I would take away anything from that story, it would be that. So we're talking how many years of a spread did you just go over in like 20 minutes? Like When she was yeah. six to two you to now. trained to be an Olympian. <laughs> <laughs> I told you owning your own coaching business and podcast. Yeah, it's all over the place. It's all over the place. But that's everyone. I mean, I don't know. Is that everyone's journey kind of like trying to make the best they can where they are? Yeah. So I want to touch back a couple things, but first you so this was August of last year that you created your current business because it's not your first. And what is the name of your business? So it's called Monarch Leadership Group. Okay. And what is the name of your podcast? Untrained. So the just, I, like, I want to, oh, sorry, Kelly, go ahead. Yeah, just is a killer, man. No, I just loved those two mm-hmm. words, but yeah. we can go, we can circle back to that. Let's yeah. just. I think I've struggled with that when I, I did a, um, a cohort with Simon Business School and I was like, yeah, I, you know, I just own a bar and grill. I don't know where, I've, and the um, one of the women that we had in there, she's like, you have to get just out of your vocabulary. Like all businesses, like Kelly and I have been talking about a lot lately, all businesses start out as small businesses, and one thing we've realized while the eight and a half years of doing Bossy is all businesses have the same struggles. It doesn't matter if you're bringing in $600 a year or $6 million a year. The problems still exist, and they're often pretty similar, and a lot of times the way out of those problems is pretty similar. So I think getting just out of our vocabulary is really important, so I'm glad that you touched on that. I think it's really hard because we live with ourselves. My own coach is someone who's very familiar with imposter syndrome, and she's kind of the imposter syndrome guru. You look at yourself in the mirror every day, And you see all the blemishes. You see all the things that are going wrong. I mean, you see so many. I'm a pretty negative person, which is ironic (laughs) being a coach because I'm very positive with my clients. But, you know, you you see yourself every day. So it is hard to really see the, the measure of things because you just have this sort of recency. I woke up. I look terrible. Like, this looks terrible. These things are going wrong. But I think if you can take a step back and think about, you know, all the measure of things that you've done and the summation of all those things and really grab on some perspective, then you realize how powerful you are and how amazing you are. And that's literally what I do as a coach because people come in, they're like, oh, this isn't going well. And this person's driving me crazy. So many people problems, right? In, in small businesses. And then we kind of step back and I'm like, look how far you've gone. Cause I keep notes and I'm like, look, a year ago, this wouldn't even be a conversation we'd be having. Now you have 10 employees versus just you. And so you know, let's look back on that. So you're absolutely right. I think it is. Yes, part of it is how do we speak to ourselves. But I think also just like you need some perspective on how far we've come because we only look at where we are right now today and look in the mirror and be like, look at all the wrinkles instead of just looking at all the experiences, all the things. So I know I looked at all my wrinkles this morning. So (laughs) (laughs) well, and personally, I, I realized recently that part of my problem wasn't necessarily imposter syndrome or just because I did both of those things, but they both stemmed from how I was rating my success. Because it depends on what you're looking for in that success. And for me personally, it was like certain people that I wanted to notice what I was doing and what I've accomplished and what I've succeeded at and how amazing I'm doing and how great I am. And if those people aren't acknowledging you, you still hold on to those like, well, I must not be doing it good enough. I must not be successful enough because they haven't noticed or, you know, and it's it's really deeping, getting deep down into why you feel that way, Right. Because we all do it, but we all do it for different reasons. And that imposter syndrome and that just is really us 
circling up whatever it is inside of us that's keeping us from moving forward. And it's like so important to figure that out so that we can own it because we are amazing. Yeah, my incredible. I agree with you. I mean, I'm resonating with that because uh, last year and this year is a journey of self-validation. I um, am very externally motivated and and external validation is very important to me or has been in the past. I mean, think about like everything as an athlete is an externally motivated thing and rewards, right? Like I am working for that reward. Um, So I totally resonate with the external validation piece. And I absolutely agree, you know, in coaching, we do a lot of like trying to get defining your success for yourself. Also, I love what you did of like, why do I need this other person's validation or what's so important about their voice? Um, And is it what is important about what they need to tell me I'm doing well at? Um, We just did a podcast on comparison. I think once we flipped comparison around and said, like, if I let's say I look at you, Kelly, and I'm like, oh, man, she's got this and she's got that and I don't have that. It's it's rather than just staying in the place of like, oh, they have something that I want. It's getting really curious. And I like what you did was like getting really curious about what is it about that that I feel like I'm missing and how do I then fill that gap for myself or find support to fill that gap. And I think we often get stuck in um, that space of negativity where we don't look at like, okay, how can I resource myself to get the things I need? And what is it that I need? Because we so often as high performers ignore the things that we need, right? Like, why do I need that person's validation? And why am I feeling like this isn't good enough and getting really curious about that? I like that. Yeah, Um, we often focus more on like I know for me the who I want recognition from I don't actually need that for my professional life that's that's a personal thing so we often put so much effort into you know it's like changing that you know who do you want that recognition from but focusing more on who do you need it from because there's certain people I do need that recognition from the ones I want it from at the end of the day doesn't really matter it's only affecting me personally yeah and I wonder I'm trying to not focus on yeah, and why do we set the bar so high? Sometimes we're like, we're only going to be good so if high. this person recognizes me. Mm-hmm. But why? Why that bar? Why that person? And why Why don't we, and I notice for myself too, like there are people in my sphere and my close friends who are like, who would be honest with me and say, you're doing well or you're not doing well. And they come to me and say, you're doing a great job. This is amazing and that's amazing. And why am I discounting them? Right. So why do I have people in my sphere that I'm discounting and learning how to not discount their validation and learning like what does Brene Brown has like a she's like a one inch by one inch square. You put people's names on it that you want validation from. And and when those people give you. Yeah, I love that one, too. And, you know, when those people give you that validation to also internalize the other thing, too, is I don't internalize it. Like someone say you're doing really well. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm a huge. Yeah, butter. (laughs) Yeah, but but that could be better. But it's more about like how can we just recognize in this moment we're doing the best we can best that we can with what we have and it's pretty damn good. And just to recognize that. I'm envisioning now this like recognition bingo where I have like instead of numbers, I have people's names and as soon as I get it, I can stamp it and when I win bingo I can buy myself a new something. Go on, Go on a cruise. cruise. I could do something yeah, exactly. for myself. So That's I'm gonna create the- that. I'm gonna write that down. Recognition bingo. I'm gonna patent yes. it and trademark. Yes, and the thing is the rewards is important because I realize like because I'm not out in Rochester to do all these things and I'm not getting the rewards because I'm not doing the things. I think it's important to, when you're self-validating to, to reward yourself, to try to figure out what are the rewards that are important. It's maybe reserving a day where I don't have to do all the work or Saturday is a, a day where I can just you know, read my book for a couple hours or whatever. Like I need rewards. Like I actually need those things. So recognizing that I need those things rather than waiting for other people to give them to me, do the bingo And then once I hit those marks and people give me validation or I self-validate that I actually reward myself for those things. You know, sometimes we buy a pair of shoes, you know, maybe that's a reward. (laughs) Often it is. Yes. I like self-validation bingo even better. That's the advanced, that's the, um, what do they call that when you buy the game and then there's the expansion pack. The add-on, the expansion. (laughs) Yeah, I love this. This could be a a bossy rock um, patented thing. I like this. this I'm working on it. Bingo. (laughs) 
with the exactly. I mean, you're here for it, so it's only fair. <laughs> yeah, well, I would put it right back into local businesses. How about that? Mm-hmm. You got it. <laughs> We'll uh, make sure your name's on it so you feel right. validated. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You'll be the main, the middle this. box. <laughs> I love this. I love this. This is great. Do you see how like you get entrepreneurs together? Now we've like made a game. We're gonna patent now. I love this. I just love this. <laughs> Women do all this shit all the time. We do. I have that written down. <laughs> Kelly, did you want to go back to the name of the business and the podcast? I think that resonated with yeah. you. I know I cut you off. So like. I don't know. From what we've heard about you, so you said the business is monarch leadership. So like you, um, you, I see this monarch butterfly and like the chrysalis that blooms into the butterfly and totally know where you're going there, right? So it's like this gorgeous growth and beautiful thing that flies away and is successful and gets to go to Mexico. And then untrained is so like opposite. Like I almost, when you said it, like my envisioning of the monarch that was happening, like almost went back, like I don't know. It was like this really weird thing that happened in my head when you listed off both names. And I, I feel like you must have done that on purpose. So I assume the podcast is very different yeah. from the business. You know, what's interesting is um, I just I love that you have so much faith in my forethought for all the things. Um, I super <laughs> appreciate that. Everything is totally planned. <laughs> it's so planned. I always say, like, I play an organized person on television but if you actually looked around, things are kind of messy. You know what's interesting about the monarch? Yes to the butterfly. And I think that the most important part is the growth when the butterfly looks like shit. And so when the butterfly looks at its most terrible, it's really when it's getting all of its power pulled together. And I think that is literally what I was trying to get across was how amazing it is to be in transition, to not be afraid of the messiness, because that that is what the purpose is. That is what life is. And so when a lot of times when people come to coaching, they're coming because things are messy. And they're like, oh, there's got to be a fix. And there's got to be this thing needs to be fixed. And that thing needs to be fixed. And a lot of times it's letting go of a lot of things and being in that space of discomfort that allows us to grow, which I know a lot of us talk about. But, you know, we can talk about it, but actually going through the discomfort is very, very difficult. You know, that changing, that uh, metamorphosis um, is very difficult. So for me, the metamorphosis piece was, I think, very resonant. But yes, like having the butterfly is great and we all want that. But so many of us, especially, you know, our group, we are constantly evolving. And when you constantly evolve, you're always going to invoke that messiness. And so we never are in a place where like, if this happens, then that will happen. I want us to get to a place where it is happening. It's happening right now. It doesn't look how you want it to look. It's not always going to look how you want it to look. And we have to let go of some of that in order to actually kind of move forward. So Monarch Leadership Group was that for me because it is like when I started it, I was like, I don't know what this is going to be. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I'm still trying to figure that out. And so I think Monarch was very important for me, that word. So I do appreciate you calling that out. Live it, love it, lime it with Selena's Mexican Restaurant at the Village Gate. Come for the food, stay for the fun. Become a part of Selena's family. Selena's offers daily specials, happy hour at the bar, and catering, plus dietary menus for celiac, vegan, and vegetarian guests. When you're on the west side, grab a quick bite at the new Selena's Taqueria Grease, 745 Maiden Lane in the Tops Plaza. Find out more at selenas.com, S-A-L-E-N-A-S. Hi, I'm Kelly Bush, and I own Marshall Street Bar & Grill. Whether you're out celebrating with friends or looking for a catered event, Marshall Street is your number one choice. With board games, pool, darts, pinball, and three large screen projectors, you'll never run out of things to do. Check out our huge menu with over 60 items, including vegan and vegetarian food, 18 taps, unique spirits, and great daily specials. We've got something for everyone. Come see old friends or make new ones at Marshall Street Bar & Grill. You always have a home at Marshall Street. If you've been thinking about starting a podcast and you want to include interviews with people across town, Riverside.fm offers unbelievable high-quality recordings regardless of your or your guest internet quality. And it also gives you separate audio and video tracks for each person speaking. And unlike Zoom, you don't have to install anything on your computer and your guests don't either. Head over to Riverside.fm and use promo code JazzyCast to get 60 free minutes of recording and 15% off a membership plan. 
the untrained part is very interesting. My partner, my Kelly, <laughs> um, of the Kellys, is called Whitney Otto, and she lives in Cambridge. And she and I uh, met at Valor Performance uh, at the startup, and we we just love each other. And we we both were Olympians. Well, she was an alternate to the 2000 team and in rowing, and she lived very much like I did where our most visible part of my, our lives where people were like, wow, you're so great. And everything's so great. She went to Brown. She almost made an Olympic team. She became a world champion. Um, but she also was battling an eating disorder. I was battling depression, and anxiety, um, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and so I think we found each other that way of all the things that we learned growing up of what does success look like? What should we be as women? Like, how should we look as women? What should we do? How should we succeed? How do we push ourselves? How do we not push ourselves? What should we be like? We had to untrain from our minds and our bodies in order to get to a more healthy place. So we call untrained the podcast of like untraining these toxic behaviors and mindsets. And we do it for our clients. I mean, so many of the women that we work with um, are just burned out. They're like trying to do everything at home and everything at work. And they're just absolutely burned out and having more grace and permission and how to untrain some of the things that you have to, you should just all those things um, so that they can become more, you can become more free to sort of live the life that you really want to live. Um, so that's the purpose of untrained. And we just use, we take all of our, um, coaching, you know, we'll have coaching clients during the week and we're like, Oh, this is so good. We coach someone on this. And then we just kind of type it up and we're like, let's share it with everyone because maybe it'll help someone else, you know? So it really is just a project for fun. The podcast of untrained. That's awesome. You really did find yourself. You really did. (laughs) You found somebody like, think about like you both, not to say peaked, but like athletically speaking, like mm-hmm. you were in the Olympics. Like, is there more than a peak than that? Like you peaked at like before you were 20. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's a mind fuck. Sorry. Oh, like, absolutely. Like, holy shit. You peaked before you were like through puberty. Like they say your brain goes through puberty to you like 25. Yeah. <laughs> like, but you found this person that not only had that same experience, but is also doing a similar job now. Like you found your Kelly. You did. I know. Everyone needs I'm happy to find their you. Kelly. <laughs> I agree. Oh, I love that. And I want to just go back when you were talking about your business and saying like how amazing it is to be in transition. I think so many times we're told like in hard moments, in tough times, like just just look at the end, like the light at the end of the tunnel, like always look forward and don't don't get too bogged down with what you're going through now. But that's really such an amazing thing that you, A, get to be in transition because that means something is changing, which means something wasn't working. So you're moving towards something different. But I think so often we don't sit in those moments and it's so important. And there was a time in my life where my therapist said to me, stop thinking you know, what's going to, life is going to be like in a year and just acknowledge where you're at right now and how great that you are here and you weren't there yesterday. And really, I love that your focus is to, to just embrace the amazingness that transition can be and not having to rush through that and enjoy appreciating that for what it is and that you get to have it. Yeah. And I don't want to sit here and be like, I totally embrace it with all the Zen and awesomeness of all the things. Like I embrace it like what in the fuck is and I have to say you know I have tools now whereas Mm -hmm. to your point Kelly the mindfuck was if you're an Olympian that's how you got to run your life everything has to be at that level and like living at that level it's intense (laughs) I was like this isn't working for me (laughs) so no and it's not possible it's not possible but they don't tell no one tells you that um you know I have a, a group of Olympian women we meet with and we just ran our lives like that. We're like, all right, we got to be the best of the best of everything. And we enter and do, and, and it's just, it's really a, it's not the way to go. But, you know, I, I don't want to sit here and say, I, I know all the things, but I would have to say a month ago, I was talking to another coaching friend. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have clients coming in. Things aren't happening. I just, this is such a mess. What do I think I'm doing? I just need to get a job and a 401k and then I'll be all right. And then what am I doing? You know, and he's like, you know what, Iris, every day is a little bit different. And also the only way to get from here to wherever you're trying to go is the way through. 
just, you got to do it. You just got to go one foot in front of the other and that's it. And then you have to have some faith around it. And I've never done it that way. I've planned my life to a T. Like every four years, you're an Olympic Games, you know, four years, you know, four or five years, six years in my case, finishing college and then going to, you know, three years of business school. You know, you've got all these plans and you're like, I'm going to race towards them and here's where I'm going to be in five years. And I think this is the first time in my life I was like, I don't know where this is going to go. I, you know, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. Tomorrow I'm going to work a little bit more on my social media. I'm going to see if I can drum up some more clients. And I'm going to talk to the Kellys on Monday. We're going to see how that goes and have some fun with it. So I think it allows for more joy. And just to know, like, it is hard sometimes, and that's okay. And you're going to pick yourself up, and you're going to get better for it. Um, Because I never really allowed that either, Kelly. Like, I never really allowed, like, oh, if this is a bad day, everything's going to fall apart. I definitely was like, tomorrow's going to explode. You know, nothing's going to work for me. This business is the worst. I'm the worst, you know, it would all go to that those scenarios. It's much better, I think, to embrace that it's just going to be chaos. There's no, like, when this happens, then this will happen. And those are the most beautiful stories, too. I think we found that in doing these podcasts and just in Bossy in general, hearing people's stories. Like, it's great to hear where they are. And, oh, it's amazing you're... You know, you're an Olympian and you've got this great business, but hearing your story and all of that other messy stuff is is what's truly beautiful. So, yeah, the fun is in the messy stuff. Mm -hmm. So who is your ideal client? Who are you working with now? Who are you looking to work with in your coaching business? You have to name names. All the people. I mean, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds, for sure. Can you get him on our podcast? (laughs) We could change. Exactly. We'll change. Exactly. I would love Jazzy work on that. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I know. I was like, Jazzy probably has all the connections. She might. Um, <laughs> she probably has all those connections. I have all the Olympic stuff connections. So if you want to uh, talk to other Olympians, but um, you know what's interesting about the ideal client? I guess I could sort of do it roundabout, but it's funny because I first w- said, "Oh, I want to coach women who are like me. They're in their forties. Um, they have." kids are trying to juggle that squeeze of having older parents and younger kids. You know, that's the demographic because I know that demographic. I put it out there. I got three 30-year-old guys from California. And I was like, how does that marketing work? And so, you know, because the younger generation really believes in coaching, really believes in this work. They've done therapy. They, they believe in this work. Uh, performance coaching is important for their career and lives. Um, I I help people, um, so I call myself a performance coach, so I was telling uh, Kelly M that um, I don't really call myself a life coach. Um, I've definitely helped people with career transitions. Um, Mostly I'm helping people within their careers or business owners that are um, faced with like day-to-day issues or they're trying to um, use me as a sounding board for things or, you know, I want to change a habit or, um, you know, add something, uh, help, helping them with their teams, etc. So it's really hard for me to say, like, I coach one person, but I think the one, uh, one type of person, but the one thing that's a string throughout is I'm not really trying to organize your life life of like, I think people come and think, oh, she's an Olympian, so she'll help me with my exercise and my um, schedule uh, of exercise and diet and everything. I, I'm just not that person. I help people with like, what helps you perform? Is it more sleep? Then we have to get that. Is it um, letting go of um, dealing with your emotions? Um, letting go of some of that emotional hangover? Um, dealing with a, a difficult team member? You know, what is it that helps you mentally and, and physically prepare to perform at your job, which can also be at home, right? So, um, you're not a different person at home as you are at work. This is the hard part for, for this is you're not two different people. So when I coach you, it's not like I'm coaching you as just um, the person who owns a business, but I'm coaching you as a person who owns a business, but also has a life at home. And how do you integrate those two things and how we, how we do that? So everything is more towards like, what are your goals? What do you want to achieve? Uh, where do you want to go? What do you need clarity on? What's on your mind? What holds you back? All of those things. And I think I've got people from mid-20s. I don't usually do teenagers. To your point, Kelly M., um, I think I take people when they've matured and gone through a couple things. It's easier because then they have experiences. So probably mid-20s. 
And also, you know, there's a real uh, surgence of women in their 50s and 60s who are like, I'm ready to ramp up my career, but there's a lot of ageism. So there's a bunch of women that I've worked with, too, that are in their 50s and 60s who want to move their career forward, but, you know, there's no pathway. And that's, I think, another thread, too, is I haven't had a traditional pathway, and I think I give permission slips to people to have different pathways where, you know, they felt like I should be like this person or I should do this thing or I should do that thing. And I kind of help them get through to a point where they figure out what do you really want to do and what is the path you see yourself in. Um, you know, I, what is it? One recently, a woman who went on maternity leave and she goes, you know what? I don't know if I want to return to a full-time job. And I said, okay, because there's no handbook for women or, you know, now let's just not leave men out, but who go out on leave and who want to have, you know, more time with their children. There's no handbook or guidance. There's only like in corporate America or in general, you're just kind of like, you get a pathway, you get a promotion, then you get another promotion, you get another promotion, but there's no like, how do I integrate my life? Like, I want to really be a mom for the next five years. How do I do that and not let my career fall down? Right. So, you know, I work with a lot of people, especially women on, on trying to build their own pathways and build their own paths. Because if you don't sit on a path, like I'm a lawyer, I'm going to graduate, I'm going to work for a law firm, or I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to do this, this and this. There's certain pathways that are grooved. But if you're someone that doesn't fit in one of those fishing lanes, those pathways, then you come to a coach. And so I have a lot of those people too of like, I don't know what I'm doing. I know I like this. How do I integrate all these things? And so then we just build their life together. So um, this is all to say, like, I don't do the life coaching of like, you know, I'm, I'm not the nutrition and all of that. I do integrate the body into it, but it's not like that. It's more, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? How do we get you there? I really like when you said that you integrate the person at work and the person at home, because we really are the same people and like the things that we're passionate about. So like, it made me think of my daughter when she came into work one day and she was like, you act the same way here as you do at home, only you're talking to adults. And I was like, yeah, because, like, I'm everybody's mom. Like, oh, you can't do that. Or, oh, you need to tuck your shirt in. or oh. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Because at my job, that I'm mom at work and I'm mom at home. And not in, like, this negative way. Like, a lot of people are like, oh, you can't be a parent at work. And I'm like, no, but I'm the boss. Like, I'm the person that well has to run everything. I always call them see moms or parent whoever's running the household is – is the CEO of their household. I think people need to think of it that way because you are leading your household. Um, you're managing where everyone goes. You're managing that they're doing it well. You're holding them accountable to the things that they need to be doing. So you're absolutely... Figuring out how to pay for it. <laughs> uh, uh, you're budgeting. Yeah. So you're the CEO of a household. So it will be the same in both places. You are a champion in so many ways. The obvious way, but also, you know, what you did in your fencing business to encourage people and not do things the same way and give people like not focusing on that traditional, you're going to be an Olympian, you're going to do things this way, you're just going to find a place to fit in and do something really well and become a leader. And now in your business, you, this permission slip to people who are doing their pathway to business is non-traditional. And I think we're finding a lot more people that are doing that now, but you're supporting them and it's, it's, it's unique and it's incredible. I just got a bingo card from a Kelly. You did. You like just, a bingo point. You did. You got a bingo point. <laughs> oh, I'm going to just totally put that there. Yes. I'll write that shit down. <laughs> I'll give That's you my awesome. notes afterward. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Girl, where have you been? I haven't seen you at work in a while. Girl, I quit and started my own business. Really? That's amazing. How did you do it? Well, I've been listening to this Beauty Boss Millionaire podcast, and it really helped me change my mindset from an employee to a CEO. All that from a podcast? Yes, the Beauty Boss Millionaire walks you through the process of starting a business and making your first million. I need that in my life. I need someone to help me. Just go to beautybossmillionaire.com or pull it up on your favorite podcast app. It's time to boss up i have a question yeah do you think that being a first generation of immigrant parents so your dad's from germany yep he grew up in berlin post-world war ii mm -hmm. do you think that has affected your pathway um well there's two things one is um 
tangible and the other one's esoteric. So the uh, what's tangible is I'm absolutely every bit of a first generation where you feel like you have to live up to something, right? So your parents came here and sacrificed. They left their origin, place of origin, to be somewhere else so that their children could have something. So you feel absolutely this pressure to perform and to be something, quote-unquote, um, in order to live up to whatever it is that they dreamed of, right? So um, it, it absolutely, and it also affects what I coach too, because I coach a lot of this belonging piece. How do you belong? How do you feel safe in places? Because I didn't often feel like I belong. So it drove the success piece for me, but it also drives like my reasoning for coaching too, is I want people to have safe spaces. Same with the fencing club. Like I just, people want have to have safe spaces because when you're an immigrant, it's not really, this is a total foreign country. So nothing feels safe. I mean, parents like no idea what any of this is. I come home and be like, Oh, we got to dress up for Halloween. My mom's like, what's a Halloween? You know, like, you know, and then you don't fit in because you don't do the things right. Um, your house always smells like garlic and onions and Chinese food. Whereas like normal, normal American people don't do that kind of stuff. Right. And my lunches look totally different than the lunches of the kids, you know? So there's every little bit, you feel like you're not a part of something, um, or you don't feel like you fit in. So, and everyone has that, even if you were, you know, everyone has some piece of, I didn't belong somewhere. And I definitely felt that. So it definitely, um, colors how I see the world. Um, the more esoteric thing that I was talking about was I, this is just new for me is the generational piece of it. Um, so I think my biggest value is freedom. I think, I don't think I could ever go much to my husband's chagrin. He, I won't probably go back to a corporate setting because I like my freedom and freedom and autonomy of time. And I spoke to my mom last week and she said, the whole reason I wanted to come to the States is because that story I told you is because it was in China, you're just told what to be and what to do and how to act. Um, she wore short skirts. She would always tell me the story of like wearing short skirts and the Chinese would tell her that she couldn't wear short skirts. Then she did her hair like Elvis. Oh my God, you listen to Elvis, you know, and she would pop her collars or she would even like cut a deep V in the back of her shirt, you know, cause Chinese women don't do that. And she's like, and she always, if she were to live today, she'd be one of us an entrepreneur for sure, but she didn't have that. She could be a teacher or, or a nurse and she became a nurse. But I think there's this generational thing. This is esoteric. My grandmother was the first to not have her feet bound in China. My mother also fought hard to be her own very, very, very strong-willed person in China where women were not allowed to be strong-willed or speak their mind. So I absolutely have that in my genetics. It's deep in that hereditary genetics. I think you do have all of that trauma built up into your system. You have all of the things that the women before you or the people before you had to deal with. And you have that in your system. So because last week was one of the first times I was like, realized like, oh, my God, I love freedom so much because it was something that all the women that came before me needed, wanted and fought for. Um, So but it takes time. I mean, my my daughters will it'll be different. They will live it in a different way. Um, so that's the, that's how it influences in, in both a very tangible piece and in a more esoteric piece. I love how that just connected to, you think freedom and you don't think work, especially growing up here. Like freedom is always spoken of in a very American way, freedom of speech, freedom of property. You know, you don't really think about it in freedom of time and freedom of what I want to spend my time doing. And that was really beautiful. And I will look at it differently mm-hmm. now. Yeah, you come from a long line of freedom seekers. Yes, I like and that. Be carrying that on. Your children will be carrying that on. I love it. Yes. Oh, time is the one thing we can never get back. That's, that is actually, you know, as you said that, Kelly, I realize that now I think in my coaching, I do, I'm just getting an aha moment of like, yeah, like I think I free people's time for themselves and it is the number one thing. People are like, I want my time to do what I want with it. That autonomy of time is something very central to so many people and especially people that I coach. And look at here we are at almost an hour. We always say like, oh my gosh, are we going to have enough to talk about? And I feel like I could talk to you for hours more. Thanks for letting me come and hang. 
love it. I, mean, I don't think we'll have you back, and maybe sometime we'll loop your sister in too, and we can we can have all four of us on because I want to feel like I want to get to know her a little bit better too. Yeah, yeah, she's she's amazing, and you can ask her all about Cairo. So cool. yeah. And I'm working on my list of Olympians that I want to meet, so I'll send that over to you later, <laughs> but not right now. So tell us, how can we find you? If somebody's listening and they are really looking for a motivational performance coach who's going to help them down their non-traditional path of whatever it is they're doing, how do they find you? Um, on LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn for sure, Iris Zimmerman, and then also on Instagram, Coach Iris TZ. So I just started um, this year pushing Instagram a little bit more and doing a little bit more to um, tell this story on Instagram. So they can follow me in those places. And then also monarchleadershipgroup.com is our my website as well. Oh, and your podcast. How do we find your podcast? Oh, it's called Untrained, and it's on Apple Podcasts. I think it's on Spotify and where you get your podcasts. I believe. And then also we, we actually intended it to be on YouTube as a YouTube channel. So untrained as a YouTube channel, because we do a lot of things like we were for imposter syndrome. We wore disguises. I love that. <laughs> we get into things. We get into it. We were wearing these like, you know, the nose mustache mus- disguises, like the Groucho Marx disguises. So we were, um, you know, do you ever feel like you're in disguise? So anyways, we, uh, we do a lot also, um, visually. And also for me, this, this sort of biracial thing, I wanted to also have people see me because I think it's important to have people represented so that they can see like, Oh, here's an executive coach. She's biracial and she has this background and this is what she looks like. I think it's important. It was important for me to see like, Oh my God, when Kamala Harris as a biracial woman became vice president, I cried for days. I'm still crying. So, you know, seeing someone who is like you or kind of like you or has this history like you is so important. So that's why we decided to do it as a as a YouTube channel, too. So that's how people can find me. I feel I feel the opposite of what you were saying before. I feel the opposite of an emotional hangover. I feel like I can go, like, attack my day. Right. Yes. So thank you for, yes. for coming mm-hmm. on. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, all right. I'm glad I went into that blind. It was pretty amazing. How's it feel? Oh, my God. She's incredible. Say it every time. Like, this person is incredible, but they are all incredible. But holy shit. What a story. And what a thing. It's amazing what she's doing. I love how she introduced herself. How she introduced herself, how she sees herself, and then introduced herself, how the world sees her. Yeah, we need to do that more often, I think. Learning that distinction is really important and honoring it. And maybe we should add that to... um, to the sheet that we send out to guests beforehand, like, like how do you define yourself? Like, we have, so you can get like pronouns, mm-hmm. and then like your description, and then right? The and then the world's description. description. An Olympian, I just can't get over it. I feel like it's this back to like Megan, Megan Flanagan Mills when she was on. I'm like the CIA. <laughs> all right, this is all just wow. And we know these people, and they're in our circle. And you and I need to remember that these incredible people are in our circle too, and that's pretty amazing. I loved the description about the monarch butterfly at its ugliest. And now I want, like, instead of getting the butterfly tattoo that everybody got in the 90s, yeah. I want to get the tattoo of, like, the butterfly coming out of the chrysalis. like A, a deconstructed <laughs> like, butterfly. <laughs> you get, like, the little elbow with a wing coming out. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> a little foot sticking out the top. Exactly. But you have to embrace those moments. And we're always told, like, just look forward and keep going. But... You have to appreciate where you are and the fact that you get to be where you are. You get to have change. You get to create change in your life. And the messy parts. That's how we grow. I I tell it. So she actually said like she needs to follow her own coaching. Like I just told one of my daughters the other day, like if you want to build a relationship with a friend, like you have to get through the hard parts. Like you have to argue and figure out your differences and your similarities and how you're going to meld and like that ugly stuff is what makes your relationship better. And then here we are trying to be perfect for the world. Mm -hmm. Yep. We need to follow our own advice. Yeah. And embrace that mess. And untrain yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to listening to that. So yeah, everybody listen to getting real, continue listening to getting real with bossy and untrained and then dare to interrupt because 
I'm obsessed. So you can follow Iris yes. on Instagram. Iris TZ on Instagram and Monarch Leadership group.com and her podcast is untrained you can find her on linkedin Mm -hmm. iris zimmerman i'm really excited i gotta check out her instagram to figure out how she's telling her story that's also a great idea from somebody who's new that's going into it to tell their story or their business for the first time and see how it's happening yeah really interesting well thank you for listening yeah we're glad to glad to continue to share these amazing stories and Look forward to sharing another story with you next time. Remember, be bold, be brave, be the boss. Getting Real with Bossy. Follow us, Instagram at Getting Real with Bossy and Bossy Rock ROC. See you next time. Jazzcast Pros. Do you hear that small, still voice calling you to do something different, to achieve something greater, to live your best life now rather than later? If you're a woman contemplating your next move, you found the perfect podcast to empower your self-growth journey. Welcome to High Vibe Table Talks, the podcast to help you, the cautiously ambitious woman, remove mental barriers and take action now so that you can achieve your high vibe desires. I'm Rashan, your High Vibe curator, cheerleader, and accountability partner. As a wife, a mother, and an entrepreneur who recently quit my job to follow my dreams, I understand why you may be hesitant to throw caution to the wind and take that leap. The growth journey can be a roller coaster ride filled with highs and lows, expectations and disappointments, fear of the unknown. But here at the High Vibe Table, we take big dreams and break them into small action steps that can transform your life. This podcast was designed to lay it all out on the table. Your hopes, your dreams, your what-ifs, your regrets. Each week, we'll have a conversation with women at different stages in their journey, realizing that while we don't all want the same thing, we can learn from each other's experiences. Every growth journey has a messy middle. You're not doing it wrong. As Robert Allen said, everything you want is on the other side of your comfort zone. With High Vibe Table Talks, we tackle the mental barriers and blocks that are preventing you from taking the next steps towards your high vibe. Subscribe to High Vibe Table Talks podcast on the Jazzcast Pros Network, available on podcast platform you're listening to right now. Pull up a seat for our first conversation on Wednesday, June 21st. It's high time you activated your high vibes. Live it, love it, lime it with Selena's Mexican Restaurant at the Village Gate. Come for the food, stay for the fun. Become a part of Selena's family. Selena's offers daily specials, happy hour at the bar, and catering, plus dietary menus for celiac, vegan, and vegetarian guests. Find out more at selenas.com, S-A-L-E-N-A-S.com. Hi, I'm Kelly Bush, and I own Marshall Street Bar and Grill. Whether you're out celebrating with friends or looking for a catered event, Marshall Street is your number one choice. With board games, pool, darts, pinball, and three large screen projectors, you'll never run out of things to do. Check out our huge menu with over 60 items, including vegan and vegetarian food, 18 taps, unique spirits, and great daily specials. We've got something for everyone. Come see old friends or make new ones at Marshall Street Bar and Grill. You always have a home at Marshall Street.